We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open our hearts to his remembrance and to help us to follow the way of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa So, we kind of, we more or less stopped on verse 3 last time, but we touched on verse 4 and then um, we kind of uh, moved quickly through 4 to 9 basically, we just mentioned them and then we're going to come back. So, verse, we'll, we'll go back to verse 4 then uh, and hopefully we'll get through those first ones today. So. Verse 4 says, أَيَحْسَبُ الصَّبُّ أَنَّ الْحُبَّ مُنْكَتِمٌ مَا بَيْنَ مُنْسَجِمٍ مِنْهُ وَمُنْطَرِمٍ Which uh, could be translated as, Reckons the lovelorn man that his love may be concealed when a torrent is in one part of him and in the other a conflagration. So, sometimes the translation needs translation. But the idea here, as we mentioned before, is that the lovelorn, the person who is love, they're they're lovesick and they're filled with this love, uh, it's it's completely consumed their heart. And so the word that's used here is asab, as we mentioned before, and this comes from uh, the root for uh, pouring water. So the idea is that the one who is completely overcome with their love, they cry so much as a result of their love that it's like they're pouring water. And <clears throat> does this person think that they can conceal that which is inside of them? This is the main point of this verse. And so you have a dual imagery. One side of the imagery is the idea of uh, of the tears flowing out of their heart, or of their eyes. And the other side is this kind of like burning that is in their heart. So it's a two-sided imagery. Uh, as to, you know, the, the main thing here is... The, that you can't conceal these type of things. And even the Prophet them it said about him, uh, and this will come up I think again later, but it said about him that he used to, uh, when he would be standing in prayer, they could hear that his insides are like a burning uh, stove almost. Like the sound that a stove makes when it's, it's burning inside. That they would hear, the in, literally hear the insides of the Prophet them because they're in, he's in so much... Uh, <clears throat> just the remembrance of Allah is affecting him so deeply and it's also said about sim- similar things are said about Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, that he would stand to pray and then they would realize they would come back in the morning and he's still standing there and they're like what happened you know and it's just that he got so involved in the verse that he was reading similarly about the Prophet them. <clears throat> the one time when he came to the verse in his night prayer um the one that says that if if you punish them, um, or if you forgive them, I think. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact words, so I shouldn't paraphrase. It's in the story of Isa, when he says basically that if Allah decides to punish them, he can do so. And if he decides to forgive them, he can do so. It's the general meaning of it, not the... Uh, and subhanAllah, it said that the Prophet was reading it, and... He got stuck on it. He just kept repeating it for the rest of the night, you know. And I recall, Subhanallah, in one of the first years—I think it was the first year of my Islam. It must have been. 
because Sheikh Faqih was the Imam in the Masjid at that time in San Diego and it was Tarawih and he got to this verse and when he got to that verse in the Tarawih when he was reading he just like completely broke down and he couldn't go past it and then afterwards you know when it was time that he could share some reflections he reflected that how the Prophet responded to that verse and so when he came to it it just really overtook him may Allah preserve him and so this was something that would be seen from the Messenger Sallallahu um, It also goes to show that when something is going on inside of someone, it shows. Um, and a lot of times it shows in one of two ways. Either Some people it just shows very clearly on their face what's going on with them. And this is actually a good thing. That there's, there's, um, there's transparency in the person. Even whether it's good, whether what they're doing is good or bad, at least there's transparency, you know exactly what you're dealing with. Um, the other side of it is that some people are very good at hiding things. But usually you can still tell. So it's like in lying, you know. There's two different kinds of people who get caught in lying. The first one is the one that's just very blatantly lying. There's clear signs on it. But the second one is the person who's very blatantly trying not to get caught lying. So everything is extremely measured. And because it's so measured, you know that this is not actually natural. Uh, but the Prophet them was such that they say that his emotions are clearly known. That when he was upset about something, you would see it on his face. And when he was pleased about something, you would see it on his face. And this happens on both sides. Uh, sometimes we paint this image of the Messenger them as this transcendent, uh, like saintly ascetic figure that didn't exist in reality and of course he was the messenger of Allah وسلم, but he did exist in reality still like there's times when he would be upset they said he would his face got so red you know like um, in the in the instance where I, th- I may have mentioned this last week part of the problem of <coughs> teaching regularly in different places you forget where you, what you said where but nonetheless, the Messenger of Allah has the instance where he um, was giving the spoils of war after one of the battles and he gave a specific amount that was more to a couple people. And then it was said that you know some others complained that it was not a just distribution. And the Prophet turned red and he said, If I'm not going if Allah and his messenger are not just, then who is just? And uh, and then he and then he kinda caught himself. And that's what the difference is with the Messenger Sallallahu he caught himself and he said, Rahimahullah Musa, you know, may Allah have mercy on Musa. His people tested him with more than I'm tested with and he was patient. So there is this kind of like, his anger showed on his face. And other times his happiness showed on his face. Or as we'll come to later, his sadness showed on his face. Uh, that he would cry, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So um, there's the story of um, his, his daughter who had the child and the child died and the Prophet ﷺ went to visit it and he cried and they said, what is that? And he said, that it's the mercy of Allah. So these things would show on his face. Uh, the other side of it is that you think can think about this in terms of um, advice and wisdom that you get from any source, from Muslim speakers, from, and, and we always have to keep our minds open. You know, maybe the person we're getting, it could be that we're getting good information from them, but they themselves have a hard time practicing it. Like we said before about the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam How um, may Allah illuminate the face Of someone who carries something from me to someone else 
because maybe the one who's receiving it is has a better understanding than the one who carried it. You know, so I was I was thinking about this recently in the context of there was one of these kind of like uh, life productivity people, one of these famous people on life productivity, and the video was there. So you know how when you scroll through stuff in Facebook, the video automatically plays. So it automatically played, and I was like, okay, let me just watch it for a few minutes. Of course, these are all shayatin, shaitan, you know, it's like all the, the webs that are there, they catch you. I'm like, okay, let me watch it for a few seconds. So, and, 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 and you know, when you first watch it, unless you click on it, there's no sound. So you have even more opportunity to assess what's being said. Um, and I just felt like, subhanAllah, this person who's so insanely successful doesn't actually look happy. You know, you're the main, you're such a high-level consultant on everything life productivity related and making your, you know, this lifestyle management, business, whole thing, but you just don't look happy. You know, like, it's not reconciled. And part of, and I think that a lot of Muslims, we struggle with this, uh, oftentimes as a result of bad mentors or bad teachers or wrong information or terrible experiences or any number of things that make reconciliation difficult. You know, we have to get to a point where we're internally reconciled. You have different experiences that make you upset, or happy, or not happy, or sad, or whatever it might be. But one can go through those experiences and be reconciled. You know, to be really, they're in, they're, their mind and soul and everything is in order. Everything fits together properly. Uh, and this is a great, one of the great benefits of the wisdom of generations when you draw upon the wisdom of generations and you have more possibility for that so these are things to consider uh, verse number five uh, is this the same one? okay so there's in, in the Arabic version I have for verse number six there's an extra verse but we're going to skip it because it's not in most of them but number five is the same لَوْلَا الْهَوَى لَمْ تُرِقْ دَمْعًا عَلَىٰ طَلَلٍ وَلَا أَرَبْتَ لِذِكْرٍ بَانِ وَالْعَلَمِ So this one is But for passion, you wouldn't have wept at an abandoned camp Nor lie awake at night recalling the willow and the mount So here is that word that we talked about in the beginning Atalal Talal is the singular of Atalal So this is basically As we mentioned before But it's a, with a little bit more detail Is that if there's a, 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 an encampment and it leaves. Um, if there's absolutely nothing left, it's all to the ground gone. It's not called atlal. Atlal is like atlal is when there's a little bit of the remaining that's still standing. Like maybe there's a pole that's still standing, or there's some pieces that are still there. And this is the abandoned encampment of of the people that would be discussed. So it's saying if it wasn't for this deep love that you had, you wouldn't be crying in this place. Right, and you wouldn't lay at night awake, recalling the willow in the mount. So the willow here is a tree that has a very good fragrance, and it's possible that it was a place where the Prophet ﷺ taught. So it could be either one, uh, but the idea is very similar. That the willow is something that has a beautiful fragrance, and of course, as we've kind of passed by very briefly before, uh, this has also precedent in the way of the Prophet ﷺ that. He had the sweetest of smells and the most beautiful of smells, and uh, it would stay. For example, like they even say, 
you know, some of these things are hard to, sometimes they become difficult for the modern mind to understand, but they even say that they would seek to contain the sweat of the Prophet because his sweat was so, it was more fragrant than the most beautiful musk. So if they got even a drop of the sweat of the Prophet then it would like, the scent would stay. Um, and so he, he had that, that, that was part of what Allah had given him. Um, another side of this is that, you know, you think about this <coughs> uh, statement of the Prophet them about friends. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, welcome. Um, about friends and how there's the, and there's the similitude of a good friend and a bad friend. The, a bad friend is like the way that the Prophet described it. Is a bla- bad friend is like a blacksmith. Not that blacksmiths themselves are bad, but it's like a blacksmith. That if you go to visit the person, even if you don't buy anything, you come out covered in soot. So it's kind of like Cairo. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you exit the house, you're coming back with dirty socks. And you're going to come back. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I would, my color would change when I came back. Like, this is the city is that dirty. Um, and, and so... This is the example of a bad friend. And a good friend is like the Prophet ﷺ said, is like a perfume seller or a, a, a store that sells cologne. I don't, I don't think I've really seen this so much in, in I mean, it's the, usually they're in department stores in America, right? You have like the perfume area of the, of the store. But this is really, and in the Eastern land, so to speak, you see it. Like this is a store, that the only thing the store does is sell cologne. And so you go into the store, and just being in the store, you're going to come out smelling better. And so this is the example of a good friend. That even if you go in and you don't buy anything, you come out and you smell better. So this, this understanding of, of scent is very important. Uh, the last thing that's mentioned there is the, and the mount. So the mount could be a mountain near Mecca, or it could be a mountain near Medina. But basically the idea is, as has come before, that you pass by a place and it reminds you of this thing and that must be why it, it's, it's this deep love that you have that makes it so that when that happens you have these reflections when you pacify those things you have those reflections so um, we were just talking about this this week uh, and it's, it's so important I, I, like having I don't know how to it's just the same thing about space. I don't want to say things that would seem self-serving, so I'm going to pass on those. But, but space has such, such, such importance. You know, you, for example, I think this happens with a lot of people. Is usually there's some masjid or community space that symbolizes in the heart and soul of the person the beginning of their journey in Islam. So for me, the beginning of my journey in Islam is symbolized by the Islamic Center of San Diego. And also by UCSD, less, but UCSD, I mean, to this day, my wife and I, we call UCSD as Atlal. <laughs> that's what we call it. <laughs> we use this word for UCSD because that's like where we met and where we were when we got married and where we spent like such formative years. Um, so we call it, uh, just a week or two ago when we were in San Diego, I was like, do you want to go to Atlal? And she's like, no, I don't feel like it today. <laughs> you know, but it's, this is what we call it still today. Uh, but ICSD is like law for my spiritual journey. That that musalla is, you cannot change that musalla. It has a special feeling, it has a special place. 
someone said to this to me recently about where the Muslims pray at UCLA. There's a little outdoor area, we put out the rugs and we pray right there. So one of the sisters was saying, there's no, for me, she said, for me, there's no prayer spot in the world like this spot right here. And this is that idea, right? Recently I experienced this when I went back to ICOI. I've been back to ICOI once since I left it um, in the last 10 months. And this was the, the one time I went and prayer had already started and then I snuck in and I got like a little corner spot. And you realize like, subhanAllah, I have history with this musallah. You know, this, and a lot of memories and things come back. So again, you have this idea of you know the the space and how it affects you. Number six is فَكَيْفَ تُنْكِرُ حُبًّا بَعْدَمَا شَهِدَتْ بِهِ عَلَيْكَ عُدُولَ الدَّمْعِ وَالسَّقَمِ Which means, so how can you deny your love when reliable witnesses of tears and sickness have testified against you? So I added reliable for anyone who's using the Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad translation. It doesn't have reliable. Um, I just think that it, it adds a little bit more depth to it. So how can you deny your love when you when reliable witnesses of tears and sickness have testified against you? So now it's moving in the interrogation, right? So it's saying, was it all of these things? Obviously there's something there. You can't deny it because there's evidence against you. You can't deny something when there's evidence against you. It's there. The, the evidence that's against you is your tears and your sickness. Your tears and your sickness are an evidence that you are inflicted with some sort of deep concern and love. Um, and and the, they're real, they're, the witnesses are described as udul. Um, oh, subhanAllah, that's a good connection. They're described as udul because um, they are reliable, but they are actually witnesses. So witness has to be adl, someone who you take uh, the testimony from has to be uh, a reliable testimony and so those th- the, the tears and the sickness they can't be denied they're very much there in front of you and the Prophet actually used this same word in a hadith which I was going to try to look up right now the article that I wrote on it but that will take too long so th- there's a hadith where the Prophet says that this knowledge, this deen will be carried by in every generation so these reliable upright witnesses will carry the way of the Prophet in every generation and then he mentions a number I think it was three specific things that they will do that is very very interesting Uh, one of them is that they will reject the extremities of the extremists the extreme interpretations that come into Islam these reliable middle path people of the scholars and righteous people, they'll reject those, uh, that side of it, and they will uh, also refute the extremist, the extremities of the overly lax, <laughs> you know, the other side. So the other side of the extreme is people who just want to basically erase Islam. What is it? Oh, Islam is just, you know, love, or Islam is just justice, or Islam is just, okay, everyone believes in those things. You know, we all can agree on love and justice and mercy and so on. Where what makes the difference is Muhammadun Rasulullah, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not just that we believe in justice or love and mercy or whatever, but we leave it justice and love and mercy as exemplified by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and we live those in following him. And then the third one, uh, I don't actually remember. So 
the the article is on virtualmosque.com if you look it up I don't even know how you would find it right now but I wrote an article on it a long time ago uh, about that hadith and I think Muslima posted something with that recently I think on the same website but the idea is that these there will be these people in every generation there will be a lot of others there will be charlatans there will be um, people of knowledge that have no piety there will be all kinds of things that exist as well and that is the nature of the world have to navigate all of that and it's, it's not always the funnest thing you know uh, it can be shattering in many levels and then you kind of have to pick yourself up like once Islam also like becomes a university degree you know you can imagine where, where that leads that scholarship and piety is noted by a degree. So that's the kind of sense does that make. So you have someone who's a PhD in Sharia, for example. If you take the text and bring it to them, they can totally break down the text. Everything is understood. And then you're like, get outside of the classroom and they're like, smoke your cigarette. <laughs> or get outside the classroom and they're yelling at someone or like hitting someone or whatever it is. And you're just like, there's a disconnect, you know. It's not guaranteed. Uh, so practice is always important, and that's why this issue of Ittiba'ar Rasulullah is very important, which we're coming to now. Um, again, we have have this this um, push on, on, on the tears, but also we have a push on being a witness. And Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, one time the Prophet came to him, and he said to him, Iqra' alayya al-Qur'an. Read to me the Qur'an. That the Prophet ﷺ came to Ibn Mas'ud told him, read to me the Qur'an. And Ibn Mas'ud, his response was, You know, I'm going to read to you, and it was revealed to you. This, this book was revealed to you. I'm going to read it to you. He said, I love to hear the Qur'an from other than myself. So I like to hear other people recite it. So Ibn Mas'ud began to recite. And he started to recite from Surah An-Nisa. And I actually tested this one time. If I remember correctly, it took about a half an hour. He started to recite from Surah An-Nisa and he got to this verse. And how will it be when we bring you as a witness over all of the people? Directed to the Prophet them. So if you read, start in Surah An-Nisa and get up to that verse, it takes like roughly half an hour. So the Prophet sent them, it wasn't just he said, hey, read to me, and then they're done two minutes later, you know, and they take a picture of it and post it online or something. <laughs> but when he told them, read to me, and he sat there and he read it, I mean, some of the things you can, some of the things. Can you imagine the Sahaba taking a selfie, for example? Na'udhu so that he reads it to him for like half an hour and he gets to this verse and the Prophet them tells him like that's enough that's enough and he says I looked up and I saw that the Prophet them was crying and his whole beard was wet because of how much he was crying and he's crying because this verse is saying how is it going to be when we bring you as a witness over all of the nations the Prophet them then is that's his role is, and this is why at the end of his life, in, in, uh, in the, the farewell pilgrimage, the farewell hajj, he stands in front of the people and he says all of the things that he says. Uh, 
and he says, Allahumma had beloved, Allahumma fashhad. You know, like he tells the people, did I convey the message? And they say, you conveyed. And he says, Allahumma fashhad. Oh Allah, you be the witness to this. I have conveyed it. Allah, you're the witness that I did my job. And they said that I did my job. It's on them now. Right? And this is the end of the life of the Prophet and we and then what happens after we bring you as a witness over all of them and we bring them as a witness over it. You know, there's other verses as well that um the other verses about how the, the nation of the Prophet them is a witness over humanity. They have the responsibility on the day of judgment to be asked, What did you do? This was the message that you were given from Allah, what did you do? Did you take it to people? Did you not take it to people? Did you bring good to the earth? Did you not bring good to the earth? How did you act with what you had? All of this is about witnessing. So this is one side of it. The Prophet ﷺ as a witness over us, that we will come on the Day of Judgment, and the Prophet ﷺ will say, I conveyed the message, what did you do? It's a very serious stance, a right? very serious instance. And then the other side of it is, the whole of humanity coming and asking us, you know, you can imagine um, someone, subhanAllah, Dr. Taha Jabir used to tell this story about how um, he gave a lecture one time somewhere and someone stood up and basically said, like, I'm angry at all of the Muslims. And he said, why? He said, because I wish I had known about Islam. Like, I wish I knew about Islam and I wish my people knew about Islam, but you guys were just here and you weren't doing it. And, and, you know, it very much affected him. So this idea of being witness over mankind is also there. Another side of it is that uh, all of creation will be a witness over us as well. So as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, You know, this, on this day we will seal their, their mouths and uh, we'll seal their mouths and, and their hands and their feet will speak. You know, their hands and their feet will speak as to what they acquired from their deeds. If you imagine this, so you're on the day of judgment standing in front of Allah, and all of a sudden your mouth goes, your mouth is sealed, you can't speak. But your hands speak. Your hand says, he used to write this, he used to push that, he used to type this, whatever it might be, she used to do that. His feet, or her feet, she walked in this place, she walked away from that place, you know. She kicked this, she did that, she stepped this, all of these type of things will be witnessed for. Uh, also creation will witness for us. And this is why a lot of times people move when they pray. You know, they pray their, their fart and they move and they pray a little bit different spot, their sunnah. And it's important to keep in mind these interactions. That there are interactions with the world, maybe that we don't understand immediately and perceive always immediately. But for example, like, the ground that we're on right now will bear witness that we came to this space and that we learned. And it will bear witness to what we thought about each other and how we spoke to one another and all of those kind of things. When you go out into the wilderness, even you make adhan, they say if you're out in the, there's a hadith that indicates that if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you make adhan and you make iqama, you should still do it. Because when you do it, then the angels will come and they witness the prayer. Right, so there's this idea of there's things beyond our perception. And all of them will bear witness. The Prophet send them an example of this, and these will come later as well. Um, we see, of course, in the story of Sulaiman, that 
things that normally don't have intelligible speech for regular human beings had so for him. So there was witnessing jinns, animals, he spoke to animals and so on. The Prophet them, as we know, used to give khutbah in Medina in the early times, leaning on the stump of a tree. And then after he, uh, after the minbar was built, after the pulpit was built, and he stopped giving the sermon from this pulp, of the, uh, the, the trunk of the tree, and he went to the minbar, then they would say that they could hear the tree weeping. Which of course is one of the miracles of the Prophet that this tree would weep because it was distant from the Prophet's eyes on them. Or in another case, uh, he, he, it says that he was, he was with some of his companions, Salaamu Alaikum. Welcome, welcome. Um, that he was with some of his companions and he put his hand on this, like a donkey or a riding animal. And then he asked, he said, who does this belong to? And someone said, it's, it belongs to me. And he told him, like, have consciousness of Allah. Because this animal is complaining to me that you treat it too, you don't feed it well enough, and you work it too hard. You know, so there is this: you know, <laughs> the animal is complaining to the Prophet right? But how many things in creation will complain about the way that creation dealt with them, with the way the human beings, in particular, dealt with creation? So there's a huge environmental. Um, this is like the spiritual side of environmentalism, right? There's an issue of that's not the way that it's supposed to be. That's not the way the human beings are supposed to interact with creation. And the flip side of this is what we mentioned in the very beginning of the hadith about how um, everyone, everything in creation up to the fish in the ocean will make ask forgiveness for the seeker of knowledge or the one who has knowledge, the na'al. The one who has knowledge, everything in creation makes dua for their forgiveness. Why? Because the person who has true prophetic knowledge cannot cause harm to creation. So the safety and benefit and goodness of the creation is preserved by those who preserve the way of the Prophet So everything then will make dua for them. So this is all in the realm of witnessing. Uh, the other side of this verse is that there should be something to show for one's love. Right? There should be something to show for one's love. Love is not an empty claim. He says, this empty, the, the evidence that you're completely struck by this love is the tears that are in your eyes and the sickness that has afflicted you. You know, subhanAllah, let me give you a very... And, and sometimes love results in sickness. And, and the, the closest example for this, I'm sure most people can understand, even if they don't have kids, is children. Because what is the inevitable result of having a sick child? You get sick. <laughs> and you just accept it from the beginning. Right? If the child is sick, you have to take care of the child. And you're going to be there, and you're going to do this and that. And in order to get them to eat, you're going to have to eat. And then you're going to be sharing all the germs, and it's just a mess. But you get sick. And that's just, it's an evidence of your love in the end. <laughs> you, know, you just have to deal with it. And so there is something to show. And this also is why the Prophet them is when it's talked about in the verse about loving Allah. It's a very, very important principle of Islam. I think that one of the problems that we have as a people is that we like to talk and we like to philosophize amongst ourselves. And then we stray from the principles that are already there, that are very simple. So the principle is, قُلْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرُ لَكُمْ ذَنُوبُكُمْ You know, if you say, 
if you love Allah, follow me. So the, the Prophet ﷺ is being commanded by Allah to tell the people, say that if you love Allah, follow me. This is the evidence. So here you have this ev- the evidence of this the individual in the poem being in love with the Prophet ﷺ is that the tears and the sickness is there. You're in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You love Allah, here's the evidence. Do you follow the way of the Prophet ﷺ? How much of the fingerprint of the Prophet ﷺ can we see on your life? This is the real test. How much of the stamp of the Prophet ﷺ can I see on your life? Can I see the, the remembrance of wanting to follow his way in your interactions? How you enter a space, how you leave a space, how you talk to people, how you bear witness against yourself and others, how in your relationship with Allah, in your relationship with creation, where's the evidence? There should be some sort of evidence. And the true witness then is the action. Of course, you have superficial actions and you have deeper actions. The superficial actions are not necessarily immediate evidence. But if you see them over an extended period of time and you see them in places that you wouldn't expect to see them, then you know that there's something that's going on that's a lot deeper here. Um, one of the things Sheikh Akram was Nadabi was saying about Imam Bukhari, you know, someone asked him, why didn't Bukhari lay out all of this methodology in his Sahih? Many of us, we don't understand. Most, actually, most Imams and Shuyukh and people of knowledge don't actually know a whole lot about Imam Bukhari's methodology in his collection. It's very, very deep. So he says, Bukhari was a humble person. He wrote this amazing work, but he's not going to sit there and tell you, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. But if you're a person of knowledge and you have high rank, when you read his text, you're going to understand it. And you're going to see it. And people are going to pull it out over time. And this is, they say, with everyone who's like reached a very, very high status, they don't explain everything. Usually their students will come and they explain things that you didn't actually catch. <laughs> because it's not, they didn't actually say it themselves, but it's there. And a good example of this is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, All of the sciences and disciplines of Islam are pulled from his life. But did he give you like specific details on every single possible thing that's ever going to happen for all of eternity? No. But it comes. So the evidence then is in the details. Verse number 7 is وَأَثْبَتًا وَجْدُ خَطَّيِّ عَبْرَةٍ وَضَنَا مِثْلٌ بَهَارِ عَلَى خَدَّيْكَ وَالْعَنَمِ So this means lovesick passion has written upon your cheeks two tear lines like yellow spice and red anam fruit. Um, the the anam is a tree in Western Arabia whose fruit is used to make red dye. So we mentioned that briefly last time. That this this tree that's mentioned here, you know, he's saying that the, the tears they, they put these two lines in your face that are mixed with like red dye and uh, and yellowish kind of like spice and the red dye and it makes a space uh, on your on your face. And of course then this ties us back to the beginning of the poem. So now you come full circle in these first seven verses. That the first verse was about how you have uh, marks on your face from tears. Uh, and your tears are mixed with blood. And then this kind of like comes back to that. Uh, so that's the end of the mentioning of crying, kind of in these verses. This emphasis on crying kind of ends uh, with, with this one. And so it's important to take a moment and just mention a couple of things. We already mentioned this 
instance of the Prophet ﷺ crying at the death of his grandchild um, and him mentioning that this is uh, a sign of Allah's mercy you know that one has softness of heart they're able to uh, be affected by the hardships and difficulties of others or those hardships and difficulties that affect themselves uh, and actually it's a very dangerous place to be when you don't feel that anymore because it's probably not some sort of deep spiritual transcendence it's probably just apathy and if you don't have emotions for that stuff anymore you probably can't have emotions for any number of other things as well and uh, emotions are there for a reason and everything that is naturally part of who we are is there for a reason anger is there for a reason sadness is there for a reason love is there for a reason they're all there for particular reasons they just have to be put in the right directions so we saw that from the Prophet ﷺ. We also know that, as we mentioned before, that Abu Bakr used to cry so much in prayer that his daughter pleaded with the Messenger of Allah ﷺ that he doesn't lead prayers when the Prophet ﷺ is sick. Because if he leads the prayer, we won't be able to pray. Because he cries too much. And we know that Umar used to cry a lot as well. And Abdullah ibn Shaddad he said that one time he was praying with Umar and he was in the back rows of the Salat and Umar was leading the Salat and he could hear the weeping of Umar when he was leading the prayer from the back rows so he was weeping very profusely when he was uh, leading the prayers and another case of this is with Umm Ayman the foster mother of the Prophet uh, which there's an important thing to mention here is that Umm Ayman especially in the American context. Umm Ayman was the foster mother of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ used to refer to her as my mother after my mother. He used to refer to her as the position of his mother. Uh, and she stayed with, you know, around the Prophet ﷺ for so many years. And she eventually actually married uh, Zayd ibn Haritha. And Zayd ibn Haritha and then her they had Usama ibn Zayd. Usama ibn Zayd is the one that the Prophet used to treat as his own grandson. Used to treat on the same level as an Hassan and Hussein. He was the one that was sent to lead an army when he was 18 years old. And all of these people, the point that I'm getting at in the American context, all of these people were black. Umm Ayman was black. Zayd ibn Haritha was black. Usama ibn Zayd was black, all of these were black people. And the Prophet ﷺ used to refer to her as his mother. And uh, after his death, Abu Bakr and Umar used to visit her. And we've kind of made note of this before. That part of uh, one of the rites of brotherhood and sisterhood in Islam is that it doesn't end with a person's death. It carries on afterwards. And so... Just as the Prophet used to take care of Khadija's friends after she died and give honor to them and respect to them, uh, Abu Bakr and Umar used to go visit Umm Ayman, who the Prophet held in such high regard. They used to go visit her after his death. And they went to visit her one time and they found that she was weeping. And they, they told her, you know, like, you know, you shouldn't still be weeping basically about the death of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and so on and so forth. And she told him, I'm not weeping because of his death. I'm weeping, and this is a very, you know, like 
as deep as their love was for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, the deepness of their love for the Messenger of Allah was about loving Allah so she said I don't weep because he died وسلم, I'm weeping because when he died the revelation stopped so you imagine the people now these, these are people that are living for an extended period of time with revelation in their life immediately like this would happen verses are revealed Every so often verses are revealed. The Prophet was telling them, Allah said this about that, Allah said and and you know, her her husband actually is the only Zaid was the only Sahabi mentioned in the Quran by name. So this also there's very tight relationship with all of these things. And the revelation stops. So now the this door of connection between the physical world and the divine that was opened with the revelation to the Prophet is closed with the death of the Prophet that's the end of revelation there's no more revelation for the rest of humanity until we're all done so this is a big deal she used to cry about that and of course that's a type of longing there's a longing for the Messenger of Allah and there's a longing for the connection to uh, the revelation itself so, there was, um, oh, that's all the way down there, okay. There was some stuff I was hoping we we're going to get to today, but I don't think we're going to. Okay, verse number eight. Naam, sara tayfu man ahwa fa'araqani, walhubbu ya'atarinu al-ladhati bil-alami. So he says, yes, now finally the admission is here. So all of this interrogation leads up to the admission. Is it this, this and this and this and this? It must be something, is it so and so? Finally the admission, yes. My loved one's spirit haunted me and denied me my sleep. For love ever obstructs pleasures with pain. It's a very interesting concept, you know. The idea is when you're so deeply in love and attached with something, it actually prevents that you know it, it prevents your experience of things that would normally be pleasurable, pleasurable, you know. And you see this especially, for example, uh, with people who are maybe suffering from depression or other very severe sadness or mental mental illness issues. Is that no matter what's in front of them, they can't feel the happiness of it. Because there's a barrier there. So the barrier that's being mentioned here is this love for the Prophet that completely like it comes in front of everything else. You know, this this is the only thing that you want to connect to. And there's of course levels of this. Uh, one of the things that you'll find is that the deeper one's connection with Allah and His Messenger become, the more of a barrier there are to things that should be distasteful to them. So, for example, someone who doesn't have anything to do with Islam may find a lot of pleasure in alcohol, for example. And someone who loves Allah and His Messenger, then they no longer find this pleasure in alcohol. Because this, there's a barrier between you and that. The barrier is, that doesn't give me pleasure anymore. But going to the masjid gives me pleasure. It's a whole different experience, right? One of the funny things that used to happen, just a funny story, with uh, 
when I first became a Muslim is people would be shocked that Muslims don't drink because they're in college, right? And they're like, so you, you, so there's no alcohol? I'm like, yeah, there's no alcohol. Really? Yes, really. So how do you have fun? And, and you see, like, I'm a lot softer now than I used to be. <laughs> if I thought people said things that didn't make a whole lot of sense, and I felt that they were not um, reasonable, I would just destroy them. So, <laughs> so they would tell me things like, so there's no more alcohol, and uh, so how do you have fun? And I would just look at them and be like, you're going to tell me you didn't have fun when you were 10 years old? And they would just kind of pause, like, Wow, we did used to have like a lot of fun when we were nine years old, eight years old, ten years old. We used to just go and play, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you can have fun without alcohol. It's possible. <laughs> you know, so this this idea of what you love changes, it shifts, and and the person who loves Allah and His Messenger, that's where their connection to that is what they get pleasure out. of. So they get pleasure in the, the ultimate goal then is to train the heart to be in love with what Allah and His Messenger are in love with. It doesn't always happen right away. And that's why the Prophet said, That no one love truly believes until their hawa, their desires and their love, comes in line with what I brought. The true test of a person's belief is that that occurs. And this is why Imam al-Ghazali, when he's commenting on this, he says that, and this is the, 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 the secret of why the Prophet ﷺ says, It's the highest example of this concept. That the heart that is at a very high level gets the highest amount of pleasure that can possibly atta- be attained through submission to Allah. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he says, And the coolness of my heart was made to be in prayer. So the coolness of his heart was made to be in prayer because his heart is right in line with where it's supposed to be. Or like he used to tell Bilal, an, biha ya Bilal. You know, referring to the iqama, to the iqama that would be made to start the prayer. The Prophet ﷺ, this is and this is why even sometimes in English I'll translate it, don't worry In English, the way we think about things It's not always right So you say, for example Oh, just give me a few minutes, I have to pray It's true, you have to pray But is that the way we want to think about it? Or is it like, give me a few minutes, I need to pray It's a different perspective Or give me a few minutes, I want to pray or give me a few minutes, I want to relax. The Prophet said, Give us ease by making the iqama, O Bilal. And when you call the prayer, you make this the rest. And actually, recently, my sister said something interesting to me, subhanAllah, because she, she's been studying like uh, different things and she got her ijazah in, in yoga. And <laughs> she got permission to teach yoga She did a training class And she did it And she was reading all these things and stuff And then She came to me one day And she's like You know I figured out How you, you became so much more calm And I said how? And she said you, you meditate five times a day I said yeah 
but a lot of people meditate five times a day and they're not calm anymore <laughs> it's not and I was trying to make a point to her which is that and this is the problem with western study of spirituality and yoga and all of these kind of things it's like you're studying something hoping to attain a goal but you've you can't take it away from its base like you can pray five times a day and not attain any sort of benefit if it's not couched in everything else that prayer is supposed to be and that it's a submission to Allah and that it's something that changes your life and it influences your decisions and all of this kind of stuff if it's not actually connected to the you can't just chop the body off and be like okay meditate and your head will be okay but your body's still going to be messed up right yeah, it has to, it's, a, it's a whole package um, so all of these things are, are interconnected uh, but love then comes in between the experience of pleasure uh, the probably the the last thing then to mention because I want to give us a few minutes to kind of socialize and then I have to go strictly at 12:30 to make it to to Orange County is that the when he says that love obstructs this pain um, it's important for us to remember this hadith of the Prophet he said oh people if any believer is affected by a disaster let him remember the disaster of my death so that this may give him ease, as nobody will be afflicted with the disaster which is greater than that of my death. So the Prophet ﷺ is saying that the greatest trial to afflict my people is my death. And really, you know, part of the difficulty of this is that with the disconnect, you know, for people who knew the Prophet ﷺ directly, intimately, face to face, you can see how this would immediately affect them and they would understand. You know, they had relationships with him and, and he's gone and that's a huge trial. But for the believer that comes later to really understand this, it, it ties into so many things that we've talked about already. About loving the Messenger of Allah more than ourselves, about why we should love the Messenger of Allah more than ourselves. And truly, when you really think about it, then you understand how and why the death of the Prophet is the greatest trial. It's, it's the greatest trial. I mean, subhanAllah, think about what happened to the believers immediately after his death. <laughs> Things get very, very tricky very quickly um, on the smallest of issues. I mean, think about when the Messenger of Allah is alive. You have immediate answers to everything you need answered in life. And you have the example of what, it's, what it means to truly live right there in front of you. So to have that taken from the world is the most serious trial that you can ever take, uh, that you can ever experience. But again, that the glimpses of it exist in certain people. You just have to find them. Finding them is the hard part. And the farther and farther you get away from the Messenger them, the farther you get from finding those kind of people. And they're not always what you think. They're not always like the most knowledgeable person, they're the most prominent person or something else. They could be someone who's completely unknown, which is a good stopping point for next time. Uh, because next time, when we start with verse 9 and then when we get to verse 10, um, we will come to the story of Uwais and Qarni, rahimahullah, who was the greatest of the Tabi'een. The greatest of the Tabi'een was Uwais and Qarni. And he was someone who was completely unknown. Completely unknown. 
and I don't want to give away much of the story, but he was someone who was completely unknown, but he was someone who the Prophet ﷺ told Umar if you meet him, ask him to ask Allah for your forgiveness, because his dua is answered. And they had to search for this man. They couldn't find him. Okay, so this is not it's not always people look look in places that you wouldn't normally see and you might find uh, people who are very very sincere and sadiq in their relationship with Allah in a way that completely uh, changes their lives and changes your life as well uh, and, and the last thing on this was that I was reading about Sheikh recently and Sheikh said that you know he had spent all of his life in learning and, and trying to do spiritual discipline and disciplining the soul and all of these kind of things and then late in his life he made hajj and he made hajj on the bus with all of the regular people al-amma, regular common folk and he said that afterwards when he came back he said I realized on this trip that there are more awliya like there are more people with extremely elevated spiritual states uh, amongst the regular people than we could have ever imagined subhanallah and he's saying like there's people like that they're not in the most prominent positions, but they're there. And those are the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ. You find them in all kinds of communities. SubhanAllah, you see people, one thing I was thinking about, the last point is, it's uh, metastasizing into many last points, but <laughs> one thing I was thinking about one time was that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, yusakhir nas li masajidillah. Like how Allah puts people in place to take care of the masajid. You know, you think about like, who, who are these people? Where do they come from? SubhanAllah, like how did they... Because you go to masajid all over the place. And over and over again you find at least a couple people, these are like the pillars of the masjid. And the Prophet Wasallam said actually, إِنَّ لِلْمَسَاجِرِ أَوْتَادًا الْمَلَائِكَ جُلَسَاءُهُمْ That the masajid, they have awtad, they have pillars. And their seating partners are the malaika, are the angels. إِذَا غَابُوا افْتَقَدُوهُمْ وَإِذَا مَرِضُوا أَعَدُوهُمْ وَإِذَا كَانَ لَهُمْ حَاجَةً أَعَانُوهُمْ says that the angels are their seat, are their partners in their gatherings. If they have, if they if they go absent, they look for them and they worry about them. The angels. And if they go ill, the angels go and visit them if they fall ill. And if they have a need, then the angels are there to take care of their needs. SubhanAllah, it's an amazing hadith. If you think about some of these places, like even in a place like ICOI, I won't give away their identities, but people who know will probably know. In ICOI, there's one brother who opens the masjid every single day for Fajr. Every single day. His wife died. He opened the masjid for Fajr the next morning. Like this is this is his Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him this honor. This was the honor that he was given was that he's the person who opens the masajid. He opens the masjid every day. He opens the masjid. Uh, another brother, he doesn't even live in the city anymore. I think he may have initially, but he doesn't live even in the city of Irvine. He gives the adhan every day, Maghrib and Isha. And he closes the masjid every day or he makes sure that it gets closed by someone every single day Mother Rinesh is there gives the adhan gives the adhan close the masjid this is a special you know gift that Allah gave to this person 
And you see different kinds of people like that. They have different roles in the community. They have different roles in the house of Allah. They have different roles you know, in the aid of people, in the service of people, and helping those who are in need. And Allah has given them like this, this bab, uh, this bab in khayr. He has opened this door of good for them. And, and you know, they, they say that if, an, if, if a door of good, if a door of service has been opened to you, فَلْزَمْ like if Allah opens a certain door for you to serve His deen by, you stay with that, because this is your this is your place. He's given you this opportunity now to grow closer to Him. Could be in any number of things. It doesn't have to be in giving the adhan or opening the masjid. Could be in calling someone. Could be in visiting those who are ill. Could be in community organizing when nobody else is doing it. It could be in having conversations. It could be in any number of things. But it's important to always remember, especially when we talk about the life of the Prophet The life of the Prophet and his example is very practical. You don't have to be, you know, overflowing with books and books of knowledge. But your heart has to be overflowing with love for the Prophet and love for Allah. And if it is, then all of the doors of goodness are opened. There's so many of them. You can take any number one, any any number of them, and all of them lead back to Allah. And sometimes your life puts you in a position where you have to take one versus the other, and you might want something else, but that's not the position that you're in. You have to not bang your head against the wall of qadr. This is my big problem. Don't bang your head against the wall of qadr. As Ibn Atta'Allah said, and I probably told you guys, That the highest of aspirations cannot break the walls of Qadr. When there's a Qadr in front of you, there's a Qadr in front of you. You may want to do any number of things. Your responsibility is to take care of your child. You may want to do any number of things. Your responsibility is to do this or that. And this is like... Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of wisdom in it, but it's very hard to let go and and, and let the aqdar take you where they take you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and help us in all of our affairs. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa zil wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima kathira. Ameen.